Evan Spiegel, the product visionary, building Snapchat into a $17 billion company, originally published August 6, 2023. In 2015, at only 25 years of age, Evan Spiegel became the world's youngest billionaire. He got there by building Snapchat into the, one of the fastest growing consumer apps and turning down a massive acquisition offer from Facebook. But like many great ideas, Snapchat was dismissed early on. Many people just didn't understand how this groundbreaking idea of disappearing photos would appeal to a large user base. Today, Snapchat has more than 375 million daily active users and a market cap of more than $17 billion. It's been a wild journey to get here, from a subpar launch to a major lawsuit, to leaked emails, to having competitors blatantly copy them, and much, much more. Let's get to it. Early days. Evan grew up in Pacific Palisades, an upper-class neighborhood on the west side of Los Angeles. Both of his parents were successful lawyers, with his mom, Melissa, choosing to resign when Evan was born and his dad, John, being a partner at the law firm Munger, Tolls, and Olson. Evan's interest in technology started early, and as a sixth grader, he built his first computer with the help of his teacher, Dan. For high school, Evan attended the Crossroads School for Arts and Sciences, a private school known for its many celebrity alumni and parents. While Evan would later become known as a product visionary, his fascination with design started when he was a teenager after taking a graphic design course taught by Milka Brukim at Otis College of Art and Design during one summer, and here's Evan. Her graphic design class took a hands-on approach to design thinking and was transformational for me as a student. I will never forget the typography experiments we completed during the course, as well as the time spent in the letterpress lab. Evan would continue to experiment with Photoshop at Crossroads, where he also worked in the school's newspaper and even sold ads for it as part of his journalism class, walking around his neighborhood to sell to local businesses. In his senior year of high school, Evan got the experience of working for one of the world's most well-known brands, Red Bull. I loved the brand, I loved the lifestyle, and I was obsessed with the beverage. I had to be part of it. So I found a friend who knew a guy that worked there, and I begged him for a job. I called him repeatedly. We met for coffee, and I agreed to do anything at all for Red Bull. Evan's next experience, attending Stanford, would be one that changed his life forever. Stanford and future freshman. In the fall of 2008, Evan chose to attend his father's alma mater for college, studying product design at Stanford, and by the end of his freshman year, getting into one of the fraternities on campus. But the most important pieces of his Stanford experience for our story today, one is how he got his first real introduction to the world of entrepreneurship. Two is how being in that environment at Stanford introduced him to a couple of his classmates who he'd eventually start the precursor to Snapchat with. More on that soon. Evan's introduction to entrepreneurship came from his experience auditing a graduate level class taught by Peter Wendell, founder of Sierra Ventures. Through the class, Evan was able to hear from guest speakers like Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, and Chad Hurley, the co-founder of YouTube. Another speaker was Scott Cook, who founded Intuit, and after attending a session, Evan would end up getting a job for a short time working for Scott and an engineer at Intuit in a project called TechSweb, getting to experience a high level of accomplishment working with a small team. Evan was sold on wanting to build a startup, and he'd do just that when he was recruited by a classmate, Bobby Murphy, to work on a new social network. While the project ultimately went nowhere, it wasn't a waste. When Evan had the idea for his next company, Future Freshman, he recruited Bobby to write the code. Future Freshman would be described by Evan as 
This platform where kids in high school can go and learn about all these different universities. They can put in their credentials and the system will give suggestions on what schools they should apply to. They launched Future Freshman in the summer of 2010, but by the fall, with Evan and Bobby both studying abroad, Evan in Cape Town and Bobby at Oxford, it ultimately failed. Not only did Future Freshmen struggle to keep their attention, it wasn't resonating with users and was battling other well-financed companies. Even though they shut it down, it was an important experience, allowing them to understand they worked well together and showing Evan that he needed a more original idea to build his next startup. The original idea he needed would soon come running to him. Disappearing photos. Evan met Reggie Brown during his freshman year at Stanford. They lived across the hall from each other and eventually were in the same fraternity where, a couple of years later, they were both kicked out. Reggie was a notoriously hard partier, which, as it turned out, ended up being important. Why? Because through that partying, he came up with an idea in spring 2011 that he told two friends in his dorm room. I wish there was an app to send disappearing photos. Reggie Brown. They laughed it off. But who did he tell next? Evan Spiegel. Evan was immediately excited and reportedly called it a million-dollar idea. They talked more in depth about the company and decided to split it 50-50, with Evan becoming the CEO and Reggie being the CMO. But they needed someone to write the code for the app. After two people turned them down, Evan decided to reach out to Bobby, who, while not initially convinced people would want to use the product, eventually decided to join them. The first version was less than ideal, but they quickly pivoted as told in the book How to Turn Down a Billion Dollars, the Snapchat story. Evan, Reggie, and Bobby's first crack at the idea was dreadful. They created a clunky website where users uploaded a photo, then set a timer for when the picture would disappear. They quickly realized it would be much easier and more private for users and thus more widely used if they built a mobile app instead of a website. They wouldn't release a web version until September 2022. And that product sense in the early days would come in handy in the years that followed. Building on the initial idea, Evan worked to refine it as part of a design class he was taking at Stanford, with a final presentation showcasing a prototype that didn't exactly blow people away. Here is a piece from Forbes. The class culminated in a presentation to a panel of venture capitalists. Brown came up with a name for the app, Peekaboo, and Murphy put in 18-hour days to get a working prototype. The response was tepid. The feedback was basically, hmm, well, thank you for showing us your project, recalls Spiegel. One investor suggested he partner with Best Buy. Many wondered why anyone would want to send a disappearing photo. A few days before the presentation, Evan had emailed a few of his old fraternity brothers about the app, asking them to try it out. Unlike the insane early traction to Instagram, which had tens of thousands of downloads on the first day of its initial release, or Facebook, which spread like wildfire at Harvard, Peekaboo's launch fell flat. There were only a few dozen people who downloaded the app initially, mostly Evan's friends. But Evan and his co-founders liked the idea enough to continue working on it that summer, moving to Evan's dad's house in Pacific Palisades. Launching Peekaboo Working from Evan's dad's house, they launched Peekaboo in the iOS app store on July 13, 2011. It was a massive success, right? Wrong. <laughs> they only had 127 users by the end of the summer. Worse than that, a rift had already started forming in the team. While Evan and Bobby were working hard building and designing the product, Reggie wasn't contributing all that much. 
worse yet. Having recently turned 21, Reggie was enjoying the Los Angeles nightlife a bit too much for what was needed to build what they thought could be the next big thing. The misalignment was causing resentment. Evan and Bobby felt like Reggie wasn't pulling his weight on the team. Furthermore, Reggie was struggling with the marketing, positioning Peekaboo as a sexting app, a very limited use case that Evan tried to change into more of a fun picture-sharing app for friends. After a night out with all of them celebrating the completion of their beta version of the app, Evan and Reggie got into a drunken argument about the lack of work Reggie was doing. Reggie would later overhear Evan and Bobby talking about replacing him with someone with more marketing experience. Cooler heads would prevail the next day, but this wasn't the end of it. Even though there weren't that many users for Peekaboo initially, they had insane retention numbers for those who were using the app. While they were targeting 30% for their 7-day retention, number of people who came back a week later after opening the app, by the end of July, when Reggie had flown back home to South Carolina to see family and work remotely, that number was 60%. And Evan did a few important things around this time to help Peekaboo grow. First, he stepped in to help with marketing, getting introduced to an aspiring model and her sister who agreed to do a photo shoot for Peekaboo. The pictures would be used as screenshots for the Peekaboo app in the app store and on the website. Most importantly, they would quickly capture people's attention when they were viewing the app. Second, he worked with Bobby to make the camera for the Peekaboo app load more quickly than a default camera on the iPhone by getting rid of the animation that would normally occur when you would open the iPhone camera app. The goal? Make Peekaboo the default camera app for people. And finally, he worked on PR, securing their first target, a blogger Evan liked named Nicole James. Oh, and that rift in the team? Yeah, it got a whole lot worse. Here's Forbes. The breaking point came when equity was being finalized. On August 16th, Brown, back home in South Carolina, called his two partners and laid out his case. He wanted 30%, according to Murphy's deposition, and listed his contributions. The initial idea, the peekaboo name, and the now famous ghost logo. Spiegel and Murphy countered that he didn't deserve anywhere close to that. When Brown claimed that he had directed the talents of Spiegel and Murphy, Murphy remembers, an enraged Spiegel hung up. Spiegel and Murphy changed administrative passwords for the app and cut off contact except for a few tense emails about a pending patent. Brown was out relegated to Snapchat's version of a cross between the Winklevoss twins and Eduardo Saverin. Ironically, in their battle with Brown, Snapchat had hired the legal team that pursued the Winklevoss claim against Facebook. You read that right. Brown was kicked out. But it wouldn't be until nearly two years later, in February 2013, that he would file a lawsuit against Snapchat at a peculiar time when Snapchat's valuation was exploding. The case was ultimately settled, later coming out in the S1 that Reggie was paid a total of $157.5 million. So wild. But that's enough about that. We're here for Evan and Snapchat. Let's continue. Snapchat is born. It's the fall of 2011. Evan returns to Stanford for his senior year, and Bobby gets a job in San Francisco. Their company is now down to just the two of them, and they get a cease and desist letter from a photo book company with the same name, so Evan and Bobby change Peekaboo to Snapchat, relaunching Snapchat in the App Store on September 26, 2011. This is the date they now use for the founding of the company. More importantly, 
their app starts to take off. Here's a piece from Forbes. But that fall, Snapchat began to exhibit a pulse. As user numbers approached 1,000, an odd pattern emerged. App usage peaked between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., school hours. Spiegel's mother had told her niece about the app, and the niece's Orange County High School had quickly embraced Snapchat on their school-distributed iPads since Facebook was banned. It gave them all the ability to pass visual notes during class, except, even better, the evidence vanished. Usage doubled over the holidays as those students received new, faster iPhones and users surged that December to 2,241. But wait, what fueled that growth? A few things. First, Evan and Bobby continued to improve the Snapchat product itself, adding photo captures to the app, letting users draw on top of the photos they took, and adding hidden features that delighted users when they discovered them. Second, Evan was relentless about getting users, trying everything he could to get people to sign up, from handing out flyers at the shopping mall to convincing an entire class to sign up for Snapchat before a lecture. And not only did Evan's cousin's friends download the app at their school, but other high school students in Orange County and Los Angeles downloaded it too, spreading it to their friends. Another important thing to note is that Evan had positioned Snapchat to be the anti-Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There were no likes or retweets. You couldn't upload your email contacts or log in through Facebook. Snapchat was something you used with your friends, and you could only add them if you had their phone number or their Snapchat username. Also, at least in the early days, users couldn't upload photos from their camera roll. They had to be taken in the app and shared immediately. All of this created a level of intimacy and made Snapchat feel cool. By the end of January 2012, Evan and Bobby had increased their daily active users 10x from their December numbers, reaching 20,000 daily active users. It was time to fundraise. Raising Funding by February 2012, the server costs to run Snapchat were growing, reaching $5,000 per month and increasing daily. Evan and Bobby were maxing out their credit cards to pay the cost by the time they reached 40,000 users. After talking to a former professor at Stanford, he suggested they talk with venture capitalists or angel investors. So Evan went out looking for funding. But it didn't go well. Sequoia Capital passed. Benchmark Partners passed. Chris Saka, an early investor in Twitter and Uber, wouldn't even take a meeting. However, fate would intervene. Here is Forbes. Lightspeed Venture Partners' Jeremy Liu came to the rescue. His partner's daughter relayed how Snapchat had become as popular as Instagram and Angry Birds at her Silicon Valley High School. But Spiegel and Murphy proved difficult to track down. Their website had no contact information, and no one was listed on the company's LinkedIn page. Lou finally did a WHOIS or WOS lookup to find the owner of the web domain, linked the obscure LLC to Spiegel, and tracked him down via Facebook. His profile picture was with Obama, shrugged Spiegel, so I thought he seemed legit. <laughs> Lightspeed invested $485,000 at a $4.25 million valuation, while Barry Eggers, a partner at Lightspeed who sat on the board of his daughter's high school's investment fund, convinced the fund... Evan, and Lightspeed to let the fund invest $15,000 as well. As soon as the wire hit on Evan's Wells Fargo app while he was in class at Stanford, he dropped out weeks before graduation. They were off to the races. Turning down $3 billion. 
In April 2012, Snapchat continued its crazy growth, reaching 100,000 daily active users. That summer, they were signing up more than 10,000 people per day to Snapchat. By October, they launched the Android version of their app and more than 20 million photos were being shared daily. Clearly, the narrative in the media at this time of it simply being a sexting app was wrong. In February 2013, Evan raises a $13.5 million Series A, led by Benchmark, who had stayed in touch with Evan since passing on the seed round, valuing Snapchat between $60 million and $70 million. Only a few months later, they raise another round of funding, valuing the company at $860 million. As part of that financing, Evan and Bobby each sold $10 million worth of their shares in a secondary offering. And their team had grown significantly. There's a tweet here. You can see it, just go grind.com. It says, awesome team photo. It's an honor to work with all of you. There's a picture of the team at their original HQ. This team launched Snapchat Stories in October 2013, an incredible feature that certainly got the attention of other companies in the space. One of them, Facebook, which would copy the Stories feature a couple of years later. But at this point in time, Facebook was thinking of an acquisition. After meeting with Mark Zuckerberg in Los Angeles, Evan and Bobby were offered around $3 billion to sell Snapchat to Facebook. $3 billion. They went back and forth on the decision at a time when they had no revenue and no business model. They turned down the offer. It would have made them each worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Why did Evan do it? He had a couple of reasons. One, he explained in Forbes. There are very few people in the world who get to build a business like this. I think trading that for some short-term gain isn't very interesting. Another time, during commencement at USC in 2015, he offered up another explanation. I'm asked one question most often. Why didn't you sell your business? It doesn't even make money. It's a fad. You could be on a boat right now. Everybody loves boats. What is wrong with you? I am now convinced that the fastest way to figure out if you're doing something truly important to you is to have someone offer you a bunch of money to part with it. The best thing is that no matter whether or not you sell, you will learn something very valuable about yourself. If you sell, you will know immediately that it wasn't the right dream anyways. And if you don't sell, you're probably onto something. Maybe you had the beginning of something meaningful. By January 2014, Snapchat had 35 employees and made a number of acquisitions that year. Evan also had to deal with the shitstorm that came after emails were leaked of his frat boy days at Stanford that made him look very, very bad. Oh, remember that lawsuit with Reggie Brown? That was settled in 2014 as well. What a year. The next year would be much better for Evan and Snapchat would continue to expand. Youngest self-made billionaire. Discover, as well as lenses, Snapchat filters, was launched by Snapchat in January 2015, not only expanding the functionality of the app, but bringing on board a number of publishers. Snapchat also built its own content arm at that time. Here's Evan. When we started out building Discover, what we did was we went around and talked to a bunch of people that create media, so publishers and editors and writers, and we talked about what worked for them and what didn't. But the challenge is that was insanely time-consuming. And so we realized that if we want to make a lot of rapid progress, in order to really walk in the publisher's shoes, we needed to try to do it ourselves. 
And so now rather than traveling to New York or something like that to talk to a lot of these really big publishers, I can go across the street and say like, hey, what's not working? And we can try and get better faster. And Evan continued to focus, saying no to opportunities that didn't make sense for their users. We thought actually a lot about making Snapchat for the watch and sort of like, why would you want to look at a tiny picture instead of just looking at the bigger picture on your phone? So we ended up waiting to develop something because I think it's going to have to be a totally unique experience. It's not something that exists in our service yet, and we didn't want to just pour it over some core element of Snapchat to the watch. Evan cares a lot about the product, thinks about the product constantly, and it's not surprising he's been called a product visionary, especially given who he admires. I really admire Edwin Land, who founded Polaroid, because he sort of had three really special gifts. He was a great scientist who really cared about science and about experimentation and would work endless hours experimenting. He cared about arts. He also was a great countryman and humanist and made decisions based on what he believed the right thing to do was for humanity. So I'm trying to read kind of as much as I can about him right now. Clearly, this was all paying off because in 2015, Evan became the world's youngest self-made billionaire, but he was only just getting started. Snap Inc. In 2016, Evan went on another spending spree for Snapchat, acquiring bit strips for $100 million in March, Obvious Engineering in July, and Verb for $114.5 million in August. On September 24, 2016, Snapchat rebranded to Snap Inc. and announced Spectacles, a $129 hardware product that had been in the works for years. Evan raved about the early prototype he first tested in 2015 with his fiancée, now wife, supermodel Miranda Kerr. It was our first vacation, and we went to Big Sur for a day or two. We were walking through the woods, stepping over logs, looking up at the beautiful trees, and when I got the footage back and watched it, I could see my own memory through my own eyes. It was unbelievable. It was one thing to see images of an experience you had, but it's another thing to have an experience of the experience. It was the closest I'd ever come to feeling like I was there again. By this time, Snapchat has 150 million daily active users, and growth just continues. It's also later reported that around May of 2016, Google allegedly was interested in buying Snapchat for $30 billion. Obviously, that didn't happen because the next year, Snap went public. Going public. In March of 2017, Snapchat goes public under the symbol Snap. A November 2017 article written by Evan gives a glimpse into how he views the company. While many people view Snapchat as a social media service, it's primarily used to talk with friends, like visual texting. Snapchat began as an escape from social media, where people could send photos and videos to their friends without the pressure of likes, comments, and permanence. By focusing on the camera, Snapchat lowered the barrier to self-expression and showed a new generation that everyone is creative. When Snap released a redesign of their app in 2018 and pissed off a lot of users, Evan's vision would certainly be tested, but he explained at the 2018 code conference why they did it. We use a combination of data and also our own intuition about the underlying problem and our philosophy that guides us there. I think the thing that we always try to do when we release a product, if we believe that underlying philosophy, that reasoning is sound, we're willing to push out a product knowing that solution may change over time 
and we try to stay open to the wide solution space effectively and iterate as quickly as possible. One of the things that I've noticed with our team is that if we lean too heavily on data, we just wait and wait and wait and can get stuck in very small iterations rather than looking more broadly at new solutions. And so for us to just continually push forward as a company, I think it's really important as long as that underlying philosophy is sound. Of course, at this time, Snap is a public company, and Evan also had to build trust with their investors, something he talked about in 2018. I think the first time we started building that trust was really around the transition in our advertising business. So about 18 months ago, all of our advertising was sold by salespeople direct sales. And we realized that we would be unable to scale the business to reach millions and millions of advertisers if all of our ads were sold by people. We had to create software to do that. And we had to take our business through a transition to move from that direct sales force to programmatic advertising. And that was another example where people were worried about it. Because with the direct sales force, you have fixed prices for your advertising. And with programmatic, you have a dynamic auction that determines your pricing. And because we don't have as many advertisers in our auction yet, that pricing is lower because there aren't as many people competing to buy those ads. And so it's the right direction for the long term. And we saw that impact on our revenue after we went public. And we took some criticism. And then by Q4, I think people saw how the programmatic business really impacted revenue and got comfortable with that decision. But they punished us for a couple of quarters. And so I think it's going to take a cycle of doing that a few times before we build that trust. Evan is leading a team of 3,000 people at this time. Their ability to innovate again and again is vital. And as I'm sure you have heard about Facebook copying Snapchat repeatedly, Evan has a response. I think we do what we've always done, which is just to continue to innovate and continue to deliver really great products for our customer. And we've always believed that if we really listen to our customers and provide them with things that they totally love, that they'll use our services. Struggles, hardware, and what's next? Jumping ahead a few years, in 2022, Snap had to undergo big layoffs. In August, they laid off 20% of their 6,400 person team and killed off Pixie their flying selfie drone. When asked at Code 2022 about competing with well-funded companies in the hardware space, Evan offered up this. First and foremost, I think one of the things that's so exciting about technology industry over time is that capital is not always a predictor of success. That's one of the things that draws so many people to this industry and excites so many people about the industry because true innovation, especially long-term, Complex technical innovation can create breakout products even when your competitors have way more money and are spending a lot more and hiring more people. Because in fact, I think what happens is that many of those companies that are spending a lot more money aren't having to make hard choices. And design is all about those hard choices and trade-offs. And when you have lots of money and someone presents you with three options, you say, let's do all three, right? And that means that ultimately, over time, you miss the opportunity to learn and to iterate and evolve the product as quickly as you could if you really were constrained by the amount of time you could invest. So we're not constrained the way that we were a few years ago when we started investing in spectacles. I think we started working on our glasses product seven or eight years ago now. We took a very measured and step-by-step -step approach, first integrating one camera, then two cameras, then really understanding how 3D could play a role with content. 
Then, of course, releasing glasses that have a display now. And we've learned along the way, making those tough design trade-offs, so much about what people want from AR glasses. And so, to your point, we have along the way also developed really amazing software. And now that people are understanding how difficult it is to build an AR platform, not only in terms of the Snap OS, but also in terms of the developer platform with one studio, the engine itself that runs lenses, you're right. People are asking us, hey, can you help out with your software? We're working on our glasses too. So I think that might be an option for us in the future, but when we started, nobody was working on glasses for consumers. That's why we had to start working on it ourselves. Because we believed that breaking AR out of the confines of this phone with this tiny touchscreen was going to totally transform the experience for our community because it's immersive. You can walk around, you can engage with your friends in a totally different way. And that's why we started building it. So I obviously can't predict what the future will hold, but what gives me a lot of hope is that historically in our industry, spending huge amounts of money is not always correlated with long-term success. Evan would launch Snapchat Plus in 2022, a paid offering starting at $3.99 a month. And by April of 2023, Snapchat Plus would have 3 million users. While it's a small percentage of their 375 plus million daily active users, it's encouraging. And Evan's latest move? Launching MyAI in February 2023, essentially integrating ChatGPT into Snapchat a feature which more than 150 million people have already interacted with and more than 10 billion messages have been sent. It's remarkable how far Snapchat has come from a sexting app that people just didn't understand to a public company that has withstood numerous challenges and continues to grow. Where will Evan take Snapchat next? I don't know, but it'll be fun to watch him continue to innovate. Evan's wisdom on the practice of counsel. I thought I'd share something that we do at Snapchat that I learned at my high school, Crossroads, which they in turn borrow from the Ojai Foundation, the practice of counsel. It may sound hokey to some of you, but it is really important to us. It means that once a week for about an hour, groups of 10 or so team members get together and talk about how they feel. And just like there are three keys for success, there are three rules for counsel. The first is to always speak from the heart. The second is an obligation to listen. And the third is that everything that happens in council stays in council. We found that this particular combination is incredibly useful for learning not only how to express what we feel, but for understanding and appreciating the feelings of others. On utilizing coaches, one of the things we've done is really formalize our coaching practice at Snap. We actually have coaches that work with every single member of our leadership team. And then I work together with all of those coaches to try and constantly improve. And I think outside of that, I've noticed that written feedback works really well for me. So I write letters to our team, individuals specifically, about their performance. We combine that with 360 reviews, both for myself and everyone else on the team. So it's not just my perspective. And then everyone develops their own plan and then works with their coach to implement it. And so I think taking that personal development as a leadership team really, really seriously has made a huge difference for our company in a really short amount of time. And finally, I'm building an organization with a culture of ongoing innovation. This is what I try to talk to our team about all the time, which is this idea that really our job is to make amazing things that people like repeatedly. And the repeatedly part is really the tough part. 
We do a lot of things to try and innovate repeatedly. Most of it starts with empathy, like really listening to how other people feel about their life and things that they're using and then also listening to ourselves when we're using products and we are annoyed by them or whatever. And so I think the core really is empathy. Obviously hard work, they're a big part of that too, because we throw out a zillion concepts before we find one that's half decent. And I think the other thing for us is what we try to do is we try to build from a point of view. We try to build from values because that allows you to sustain the innovation. If you're always kind of evolving your product based on the core values and upon which you built it. For example, Discover is really about the editorial perspective. Stories is focused on chronological order. That's when it's really important to us. If you innovate from these core values about how you believe the product should behave, they tend to have a longer lifespan. That's Evan Spiegel, co-founder of Snapchat. Thanks for listening.